Uh, but we're going to turn our attention now to the book of Philemon in the New Testament. So I encourage you to take a Bible and to open it to Philemon. It's a short letter. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, you'll find it on page 940. And the whole of it is on that one page. But I'd mentioned a few months back of trying to block off a few weeks where uh, the sermons that would be given would come from questions that were solicited from the congregation. And I'd asked for, therefore, people who were willing just to uh, email or in direct communication with me, identify questions that they had about different topics or needs that they would love to hear addressed. And this week and the next two were kind of what I had penciled in as the weeks to allow for that. But as a congregation, we've taken also the opportunity to emphasize global missions, and I didn't want to lose that. Uh, but the nature, I can give you the three um, consistent um, questions that came in or the, the nature of the topic. Uh, one of them was related to forgiveness. Uh, one, how do we forgive? What does it look like when we're willing to forgive, but the other person doesn't even care or know that they've done something wrong? How is it then possible to forgive someone, but to still protect ourselves from being uh, continually harmed. And so what does the Bible say to that? Uh, and another one that came in was on divorce and remarriage. What does the Bible say about divorce? Is it ever appropriate for someone to be divorced? If it is appropriate, when is it appropriate for someone to pursue being uh, remarried? And then another one that came in said it just, it feels like we're in an environment where people don't disagree with each other well. And so many disagreements between people become pretty hostile and increasingly violent. And what, what is going on just culturally that it, it seems like so many people are acting out uh, in anger, in rage, and in hostility? Uh, it's not ever going to be that we all think the same or all believe the same. So sort of this question, how do we agree to disagree? How can we live alongside of each other and know that we have disagreements um, with each other? And, and so when I took all three of them, I realized they were almost all in the, the relational category of um, harm that's happened or difficulty that's taking place. Um, but how do we live well together, whether that's when we've been harmed by someone, whether we're married to someone who we're not getting along with, or whether we're just neighbors with someone that thinks completely differently. And we want to be good neighbors, uh, but we, we find ourselves almost walking on glass in terms of communicating things that we think or believe unsure of how they might offend someone. Now, those are all deep topics that could require a series in and of themselves, um, but I, I submit to you that almost all of those are issues that are regularly raised when it, we as Christians take seriously the desire to spread the gospel, um, to proclaim the good news of God's forgiveness to the world, and then the implications of that and our willingness to meet different people and to come into contact with those who are very different than us and believe very differently than us. And what do we do with that? And so I've chosen to go to this letter in Philemon for, for weeks over the summer. We've been doing a sermon series through all the wisdom books of the Old Testament, and we've kind of been looking at them at 30,000 feet, just an overview of those books, encouraging you to read them on your own. So we're gonna take almost the opposite approach with this book. It's one of the shortest letters in the New Testament, and we'll spend three weeks on it. And it doesn't address every single thing that I, I just mentioned as submitted to questions, but for such a short letter, it gives us an amazing picture into how the gospel would have us to step into relational difficulty, it wouldn't want us to run away from it, per se, and just acknowledge that 
life is hard, the context in which all of us serve the Lord is difficult, and it raises a lot of questions that we don't always have a, a pre-written script for. And so we need wisdom, we need accountability, we need support from other people. And so this is the letter of Philemon. Just 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you both, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more as I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the more normal length of a letter in the first century. It's actually quite surprising that Paul has much longer letter than these typically because coming by uh, a means of writing and a means of leather to scribble uh, on and to roll and to transport it. Uh, there wasn't much access to materials like we can just throw away paper without thinking about it. And so this letter is the, the typical length of a letter that we would find from anyone in the first century. Uh, but the brevity of it should not blind us at all to, to the depth of what's contained in here, of how the gospel should actually transform our lives. We have to put a little bit of the pieces together of what the backstory is because we're entering into the narrative uh, pretty far along, but we can pick up a few of the pieces. And one is that we realize that Paul is addressing a person named Philemon about a runaway slave. This letter is being addressed to someone who in the first century had a slave 
who ran away. And Paul is now sending this letter back about this runaway slave. And without knowing much about him, or even the way in which he did it, what we simply have is a runaway slave who was longing for freedom. And so the gospel came in the first century at a time where slavery was fairly common in the world. It's one of the things when we read the Bible, we realize how distant it is from our contemporary context. But it's not as distant as we might initially imagine it to be. Uh, Slavery is sadly a human reality up until the very near history and in still many parts of the world a present reality. But people owning other people as property, as bound to them as slaves. But the way in which God has made each and every one of us in his image, there is in our own consciousness an understanding and a longing to be free. Made in God's image, reflecting his character and many of his attributes, there isn't every single person, even in a society where most people look the other way at the institution, there is a knowledge that freedom is what every human heart longs for. And Onesimus had this longing for it. Uh, we, we live in a state, uh, assuming most of you that are here live here. Some of you might be visiting from out of town. Uh, but we live in a state where you can now go to a museum right on the Ohio River in Cincinnati where to cross the Ohio River into our state is when a slave became free. Not that long ago. But many times, uh, they didn't necessarily stay in the state of Ohio because their masters would come looking for their runaway slaves and say, I'm missing someone and I want your help to get them back. And so some, in order to not have the fear of being captured and sent back, would then actually make it all the way to Canada to be assured of not being sent back if captured. But it's not that distant even in our own history. But Onesimus somehow left Philemon, and we don't know if he was... We have some reason to uh, believe that he's likely sent on a trip, has some means of of money that is sent just as sort of delegated tasks like an employee to go and do something. And then at some point while he's traveling, keeps the money for himself and says, I want to be free. Because just to run away but not have any money on him wouldn't seem like he's going to last very long. And from everything we know, Paul is writing this letter from Rome, which is very, very far away from now where this letter is being sent in in Colossae. So the letter is coming to what we think of as modern-day Turkey. Paul's writing it from Rome. That's a hard trip today. That's a harder trip back then. So for him to have made it that far away from home while he was running away, one, you just want to get as far away as you can so that no one does recognize you capture you and send you back but it still takes money to get where you're going you've got to give someone a fee to get on a ship to get to where you're going and so he somehow had access to those funds where it's very likely that not only as a slave is he considered property that has been stolen but that he's also additionally stolen money so that he could run away and it's a sad reality that he encountered 
But as such, he lived his life looking for freedom, but always with the sense now, even in a new city, that if anyone really found out who he was, that that freedom could be lost in a moment. That if someone recognized him, that he could be captured and sent back. So he was in a new town. He was mostly among new people. But he had over his life this weight of needing to be secret about who he really was and where he really was from, lest he be captured and sent back. And then, we don't know how or why, but somehow he then becomes a runaway slave who embraced the gospel. Somewhere on this journey of his running away and seeking political freedom, he encounters believers that he had some familiarity with because his slave owner, Philemon, hosted a house church. Philemon was a wealthy enough person. Most churches at the time of the writing of the New Testament were meeting in homes, not in sanctuaries like this. And so he would have had some exposure to the preaching of the word. Uh, but we have no idea, and not, this letter doesn't give us the pieces of how along the way he eventually comes to embrace the message himself, but he does, because Paul refers to him as becoming his son in the faith. And then in his conversion to Christianity, believing the gospel for himself, he becomes a helpful aid to the apostle Paul while Paul is under house arrest in Rome. But however it happened, surely part of the piece is that in this internal longing for freedom, he encounters Christians along the way and eventually Paul himself who are talking about freedom and a God who's come to set us free. The whole backstory of the Old Testament is God coming to Moses and saying, I'm going to use you to announce to Pharaoh who's keeping all of you in slavery that I want you to be set free. And that God has regularly brought and acted in human history to bring freedom to his people and then to invite them to follow after him so that they don't fall back into any form of slavery. That as he's heard this message and then he's heard that God himself has entered into the world and that Jesus' first sermon included a passage from Isaiah to announce good news to the brokenhearted but also good news to the captives. There is something about this good news that brings freedom that we long for. And we don't know if it was a singular message or a series of events, but eventually Onesimus realizes that what he's longing for in political freedom, in economic freedom, is also in the gospel promised to him in a spiritual freedom of freedom from guilt and shame and regret. And that though he was a slave and on the bottom end of the totem pole in his day, there was a God who loved him enough to come and die for him to set him free. See, for a long time he'd been planning how he could make himself free. If I run at this time, if I make sure I have this much on me, I mean, he had to have thought this through and planned it out of how to acquire his own freedom. 
And at some point, he encounters those who tell him the good news of Jesus, which is the plan of God to enter into the world and to do everything that was necessary to bring about spiritual and eternal freedom for him. He has to say, who, who loves me enough that they're willing to make all the plans to set me free? But he, it's a message that he comes to embrace. And now he has this relationship with Paul who's imprisoned, and he can see in Paul this living example of someone who's trying to spread this message, has actually gotten in trouble for it, and is now no longer free because he wants to spread this message. And yet Paul's not in despair. Paul's not filled with bitterness. Paul, in embracing the gospel, has actually lost almost all of his political freedom. He's bound in Rome. He has all these plans and desires to be a missionary here and to serve here and to do all these things. And that's not how life has worked out for him. But Onesimus can see in him this, this truth that there is a type of freedom that God grants to us that enables us to face all the difficulties and challenges with life from a different vantage point. It doesn't automatically solve them all. It doesn't fix all those problems. But it can, if we're open to it, give us resources for how not to be overwhelmed by them, but to actually become active agents of seeking to change them. So Anisimus sees in Paul that this message, if we understand it rightly, can give us the resources to go out into this dark world and start to become agents of change to improve this world, to mend the world, so that these systems don't continue to be in place that bring people down. And so he was a runaway slave longing for freedom, and then he was a runaway slave that embraced the gospel. And then because we have this letter, it tells us that he's a runaway slave who is returning for freedom. So Paul has something he wants to say to Onesimus' slave owner. And he says, and I want you to deliver the letter. You want what? <laughs> I want you to go back. And I want you to hand this to him. And I want him to read it. I've gotten as far away as I could. <laughs> because I, I've only thought of freedom in the possibility of being as far away as I could be. And so again, we, we, we know that there is so much more to this story but, than this letter gives us an insight to. But this story tells us enough that this is a hard thing to do. You're gonna go back and deliver this? Because Paul sees not only Onesimus' need to be free and never be afraid to be found out, Paul's longing for a restored relationship so that he doesn't live with a cloud over his head and always have to wonder if someone's gonna really know who he is. But he also sees that Philemon needs to be set free. Here he is, a wealthy Christian hosting a church in his home, and by the beginning of our letter, seems to be doing almost everything right. I th Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become more effective. And then he talks about all those whose hearts have been refreshed by you. 
I mean, he doesn't, this isn't an angry letter to him. He's, he's writing to him saying, you have such a great reputation and I'm gonna directly confront you about a blind spot in your life that I think if Christ was here, he would, the Christ that you've come to believe in, who has set you free, would challenge you about. And it's about how you treat other people and about how you think you have no obligation maybe to this person because he's your property and I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna throw all that and, and turn it upside down because the gospel should change the way that you think about this. And it should change the way that you have gotten comfortable with this and you really shouldn't be. You should be uncomfortable with this and you should desire it to be different. But for all three people, the way is gonna be hard. For Paul, it means he has to write a letter to confront someone who leads a house church, someone who might even be a financial supporter of Paul in his imprisonment. And he has to write him and challenge him about ways that he's not allowing the gospel to be applied to his life. For Onesimus, it means he has to go back to where he ran away from. And for Philemon, it's going to be that he has to decide what to do with the challenge that he's been given. But for, for no one that we're introduced to, is this an easy road? Is this a simple thing? The gospel draws all of us into hard places and messy situations. It should. Uh, yesterday, uh, my older two were just kept fighting with each other and they weren't getting along and uh, my middle one just wanted to keep bugging the older one. The older one just wanted a space and he wanted you know, to be left alone and I give them time to try to resolve it among themselves and they couldn't resolve it among themselves and so sorry, that's it. You're both in time out. Go in separate corners and sit in time out. And my oldest was like, great, I want to be in time out. I just want to get away from him. I was like, wait a minute, one of you should not be happy about what the punishment, like the, you were both not being helpful in this situation. I, and I couldn't think of something else to do at the moment for him, but it just felt wrong. Like w one of you cannot be rejoicing at the punishment that the other one is. And when I read this and thought through each of the characters, like, yeah, no one here is, is unaware of the risks that are involved and the dangers that are at play. For Philemon to take this message seriously, in his day and say, I am gonna be the Christian slave owner who says I'm no longer a slave owner and my fugitive slave is now my brother. That's gonna make a lot of people mad because it's gonna make them feel more guilty about what they do. Oh, yeah. This, this is a difficult situation for everyone involved. But these are the kinds of things that the gospel draws us into. And we live in a day and age where still, as human beings made in God's image, we believe that everyone on this planet is longing to be free. And we believe that there are so many ways in which we've used our freedom to hurt other people and created so many complex situations that for anyone willing to obey the gospel and to take it seriously usually means doing difficult and hard things. And so the gospel becomes not only something that we need at one point to receive, but it's what we need to draw upon regularly in order to do the work that God has called us to, to go into those hard places, to raise the tough questions, say, what do you think the good news would ask of us to do in this situation? 
but we're not just gonna keep looking at things uh, in old categories. We wanna consider not simply what is legal, but what does love require? And eventually that's how Paul puts it for uh, Philemon. So we'll break that down more in future weeks. But he says in verse six, uh, not verse six, verse nine, eight and nine. I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And that is the central question that we all ask ourselves. What, what does love require of us? That the God who's loved us so much to send us into the world for us is now inviting us to go into the world and to ask the question, what are we doing for love's sake as we enter into really complicated and difficult situations in our world? For every one of our missionaries that we support as a church to go to difficult places, they need our ongoing support in prayer. <laughs> it is not easy. No one stands up and says, I'm gonna go to this place and it all goes well. It's, uh, you're gonna go to this place, it's gonna be hard and people are gonna misunderstand you and things are gonna be difficult. And sometimes even when you are making progress and doing well, it will invite a negative response. It's hard for everyone. And when, when we here locally say, I want to live this out in every area of my life, right where I am, I feel like I'm actually called to come back home, like Paul's giving this letter to Onesimus, to go back to where you came from. Okay? So right here, where you are, what do you need? You need support. You need encouragement. You need prayer. We need wisdom that all of us need to keep in front of us primarily the consideration of what love requires. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you draw us into a relationship with you. That what we all long for in our hearts in the desire to be free, that you are willing to give to each and every one of us as a gift through your son. And we thank you for the opportunity for us to look back on an ancient letter and see that one, the world is complicated. And there are systems and structures that are in place that, that don't grant freedom, that don't acknowledge the dignity of every human being. And we need your wisdom on how to love well, how to care well. We need your grace to know how to serve um, and to be able to be sustained in our service for the long haul, knowing that each and every one of us have an enemy that wants to bring us down, that wants to discourage us and cause us to despair, but that you want us to be motivated by hope and in that hope to be open to the difficult things you would ask of us to do. And so as we sing this song about the living hope that we have, we pray that we would, in singing it to you, be also moved in our spirit by you to make ourselves available for all the hard things that you would ask of us. In Jesus' name, amen.